what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Hello and welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a forum where we hold conversations with guest speakers about the challenges and the joys of caring for our aging parents and also caring for ourselves. My name is Jane Everson and I'm here with my co-host Frances Hall. How are you doing today, Frances? I'm doing fine. Thank I'm you. glad to hear that and it's been a rough week for you. Yes, it has. <laughs> Frances and I are among an estimated 10 million adults in the United States and in fact many more millions worldwide who are caring for our aging parents while also caring for ourselves. Talking with aging parents about a number of sensitive issues is almost always challenging for adult child caregivers. When parents have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or even some other age-related form of dementia or memory loss, these conversations can be even more challenging. Nevertheless, the conversations are important. We all need to discuss sensitive topics, things such as living independently or not, driving or not, managing finances with or without help, and estate planning. These are conversations that really can't be avoided. In this session, we'll be talking about the challenges of communicating with parents with Alzheimer's or other types of dementia or memory loss, but we're also going to be discussing some strategies for making these conversations less challenging and ultimately more successful. Our guest today is Megan Lawton. Megan is Regional Manager for the Alzheimer's Association, Western Carolina Chapter. In her position, she covers a number of counties in Western North Carolina, and she manages the Walk to End Alzheimer's for Hickory, North Carolina, and Mount Airy. Airy, North Carolina. Thank you. She also understands dementia and Alzheimer's both professionally and I think more importantly personally as she has several mem- family members of her own who have or have had the disease. Megan, thank you for coming to the caregiver community today. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Megan, let's start with just some real basics just to make sure everybody is sort of on, on board and on the same page. What is Alzheimer's, and are all age-related forms of dementia and, tr- and memory loss truly Alzheimer's? That is a, it's a common misconception, and a lot in the, the medical field and, and speaking, they tend to throw around dementia and Alzheimer's disease as the same term, and that's not necessarily the case. If you will, dementia is a large, broad term for any kind of memory or cognitive related disorder, and Alzheimer's disease is the most recognizable one. Alzheimer's disease is a physical disease of the brain. Um, Not all dementias are that. There's some that are temporary due to certain situations, medications, nutrition. There are some that are side effects or results of um, another health issue. So there's a lot of things that that are with that. And, And that's a big question I get a lot when I'm out in the community is, I forgot what day it is. Do I have Alzheimer's disease? Um, So we have to go into that to make sure that they understand that the difference is. And of course, um, there is a big difference between normal aging um, and and something that we need to be concerned about, such as dementia. Somebody who's 90 years old, quite frankly, I think they're a little entitled to forget what day it is every once in a while. (laughs) Um, So knowing the difference and understanding that is important. Is it okay for those of us who are a little younger to also forget (laughs) the day sometimes? Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, it is. And I, and I am I'm the first one to tell you that I have probably lost my car in Walmart parking lot more often than I should have. <laughs> Good to know. Yes. So, so understanding that. Yes, yes. 
One of the characteristics that seems to be common, though, among people with Alzheimer's and dementia is loss of communication, mm -hmm. perhaps the ability to express what you want to say and or to receive the information in a way that's understandable. I know that every individual is unique, and of course every family and every diagnosis is also going to be unique, but are there age-related types of communication issues that we should be aware of if we're concerned about Alzheimer's or other types of dementia? Um, of course. I, I think generationally, the most important thing to remember with our aging parents is is especially in this situation where you are becoming the caregiver for the person that cared for you. So that loss of independence, whether they are dealing with an additional health issue such as dementia, where they're able to comprehend information normally, might be compromised. But just having that empathy and understanding that this is a big life change for them um, is a very big role change. And that in itself causes a lot of anxiety. So understanding that um, and understanding how they like to be communicated with um, their level of respect and what that means to them is very, very important when, when we're going through that. And now if you have a dementia or an Alzheimer's disease that you are dealing with, we understand that the cognitive ability is a little different than what it would be for somebody who is not. So understanding what that is and what their communication type is at that time is really important. If somebody is not really able to handle a lot of information at once, then maybe sitting down for a six-hour session with the lawyer to understand how to plan for finances or things like that it might not be the best approach to that. So just understanding, you know, where that is. And it truly is what we would call person-centered care or letting this individual guide you and asking them to be a part of that so you can help them appropriately. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Once a person is diagnosed, are there some communication symptoms or signs, if you will, that might differ across various diagnoses? Or is everyone the same? Yeah, unfortunately, um, dementia is very, very different. I know with Alzheimer's disease, which is what I work with the most, we have a checklist. You have things, signs and symptoms. You have stages that you go through, but it doesn't really, in the reality of the situation, happen in a nice pretty box with a bow on it. It's very, very different for everybody. And, of course, with dementia... It's, you can't just look in somebody's ear and figure out what it is exactly that they have. So as things progress, each and every one of those symptoms can be very different. Um, and, and an individual might look at you, and at that moment, and you're having that conversation with your dad, and he's shaking his head yes and smiles on his face, and you walk away feeling fantastic, and then they don't remember what you talked about three hours later, and you're starting over. So there, there are some very different things with that. And, of course, depending on what that is, if it's a Lewy body or if it's a dementia related to Parkinson's, their ability to not just physically communicate and talk back, but to take pieces of information and put it together to make a conclusion is, is, can be compromised as well. So again, breaking it down into little bitty pieces, making sure it's manageable for them and stepping, taking yourself out of the equation. That's an important step to remember to do. So really, if there is any rule of thumb, it is only that communication is likely to be impacted, yes. and we need to be sensitive to that and break down whatever we can to whatever level seems to be effective. Correct, them. yeah. Um, I, my experience, and Francis and I were actually just speaking before we sat down, both of my parents are very healthy. Um, I'm lucky in that um, because the rest of the family isn't. We've had many, many of our um, great aunts and uncles and my grandmother pass with Alzheimer's disease. 
Um, and so we've been through that. But I've, I've had to have those some of those advanced planning discussions with my parents because it's time to do that. And, and me being the first and the oldest child, I'm the executor of the will, and, and I, can, I understand how difficult those conversations are as it is. And they don't have health issues, whether it be a dementia or a heart issue or diabetes or something that is extenuating. And I learned through that process what trigger points are, what they aren't, what makes them comfortable. My dad's communication is very different from my mother's. So, um, and my brother does not like to participate in those at all. So he's become a, uh, a stressor point. So we've had to learn through that process. We've all had to kind of put our big girl pants on and our big boy pants on and admit that my brother's probably not the best person to be involved in those conversations. But that is a very important thing to understand because yes, in order for us to progress, those are the things we need to figure out. Mm-hmm. That in itself is such a great takeaway that not everyone really can effectively participate mm-hmm. that, that we just made up differently and it is okay yes that's the thing and and what i would consider productive or a productive participation is might not be the same as what my brother now he participates but it's best for him not he doesn't like to be involved because he gets him upset he doesn't deal well with it so i in turn point things at him and say this is this is what we need you to do this is what you need to know you know can you do that and and that that dynamic works well but again that was a process um and it's not always the easiest process there were many tears shed and hugs given and phone calls made um to get to that point but i did learn from that as well that you know you have to take yourself out of it because it's not about you, it's about them. Right. I want to go back to another point, though, sure. that you made, just to be real sure that we focus on this. It sounds like that because you knew your family's background yes. and that there that there were a number of relatives who, mm-hmm. who really had issues with Alzheimer's or, or other dementia, that maybe did that push those conversations with your parents a little bit? They did. Um, I am lucky. My father's background is in financial planning, so he he kind of had it all in place. But learning through my last several years with the association, it it kind of forced me to say, you know what, you do need to really have this formal conversation. Mm -hmm. It's time to do that. And so I And make sure your children are aware, even if they have plans in place. Yes, exactly. Um, and, And... I remember um, having watching my mom um, and her brother and sister have conversations with my grandmother, who we lost to Alzheimer's disease in 1994, but watching them try to have those conversations with her in her demented state about not being able to live at home anymore. Um, and we were long distance. They were in New Jersey. We were in Ohio at the time. So that added an even more um, you know, and I was in middle school and high school, so it was a very confusing time for me with with all of that involved. But the one thing that I do remember is um, everybody fighting and arguing, and finally somebody coming in and saying, "Okay, this is not what this is about. We need to we need to let her help us as much as possible." Um, the picture that we have is not necessarily what she wants or needs; mm-hmm. it's what we think she needs, mm-hmm. and it's a very different. Mm-hmm. Very different, and yeah. that's a that's a really hard tightrope to walk. Yes, it is, particularly when they're not able, mm-hmm. or when they're processing and their thinking is compromised. Mm-hmm. And we want them to be safe, and we want them to be okay. And how you know mm-hmm. how to do that? And and with dementia specifically, communication tactics change, um, and the way they communicate. 
tends to come out as behaviors. They get anxious or they get foul-mouthed and start cussing and get very upset, and, and that's when people think that they're pointing fingers at you, but in reality, you have to. It, it's the anxiety or the, the emotion that is behind that statement that, that you need to deal with. And um, I think in a lot of cases, specifically about driving and, and living independently, I think are the two biggest ones that, um, that tend to you know, kind of de- deconstruct a productive meeting, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, what a segue. Let's talk about those conversations mm-hmm. relative to living independently and driving, managing finances and estate planning. How are those conversations likely to be affected when we need to have them with a parent who has been diagnosed with an age-related form of dementia or memory loss? The first one I'm going to go to is the financial planning, because whether you are ill or not, doesn't matter what it is, those are difficult conversations for children to have with their parents and vice versa, period. There is a lot to that. Elder law is a very complex system. It shouldn't be, but it is, um, and it's necessary, and there are lots of moving parts with that. So Um, Somebody who has a hard time focusing or is unable to do a lot of abstract thinking, and what I mean by that is taking lots of pieces of information, putting them together for a common conclusion and making a decision, sitting down for a long session or saying we need to get this, 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 and this, and this, and this huge checklist done can be very, very overwhelming. So having those conversations in a relaxed state not like this big intervention form that we tend to think, well, we got to get dad's attention. So we're going to call in the whole family, the pastor and the neighbor, and we're going to sit him down in the living room and tell him that this needs to be done. Well, if somebody did that to me, I'd freak out. I don't know about you or you, Jane, but I would. So understanding that and breaking it down into the smaller pieces, the anxiety that's involved with dementia for a lot of individuals, if they're not trusting their environment and they're not 100% sure that the people that are around them are those that they can trust and take them through, whether you are their child, their brother or sister, that is a reality. If you don't trust your surroundings, how are you supposed to participate this in a trusting productive manner. Um, And so your communication needs to change. Um, And when I say communication, it's not just the language coming out of your mouth. It's the environment. It's the distractions, if you will. It's the tone of your voice. It's the print materials that you think you're going to bring to them because they can read it and understand it more. And, you know, my mother always said, you know, when I say, now listen here, you better step back because I did my due diligence and I have my flow charts and my outlines in my, and you, you know that that's coming and that's not necessarily a, a, a tactic that is productive in this manner. Um, the other one is the emotion behind it. When we speak about living independently, um, changing somebody's world and inadvertently not on purpose or telling this person that then they are not able to take care of their own business and their own self anymore. Um, and that is a uh, concern for anybody. Mm-hmm. Very high anxiety can be depressing, um, and having these formal conversations with that can catapult that into that. So um, understanding that and, and, and working with the emotions and, and the time that is necessary to work through that so that they feel safe and validated is you know, necessary in that situation. At 96, my, and with having just had a heart attack and mm. lots of complications, my mother still some days really thinks that she still could live alone. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Yeah. No way. Yep. So, yeah, all of those conversations are very mm-hmm. difficult, particularly when there is dementia. Involved. Yes. Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create 
Storytime Station at The Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.TV. Let's, let's talk about a, a couple of specific scenarios. Um, my father-in-law passed with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. a number of years ago, and um, we live in North Carolina. He, at the time, lived in California. And my husband and I went out there to visit, knowing that he had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but knowing that he really was doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Well, we learned that he was still driving, mm-hmm. and we sat in the back seat with him while he was driving. And it wasn't a great experience. (laughs) We knew that it was time. So we had the talk. Mm -hmm. And the talk went better than we might have expected. He agreed to give up driving and, in fact, to sell the van. So we flew back to home, checked that off our list, and thought that was all taken care of. Well, over the next couple of months, my husband and he talked periodically, and we went back out there to visit. And what do you think we found in the garage? The van. And the car keys with lots of little nicks in it. So clearly he had not sold it. He had not given up driving. Thought we had the conversation. Thought we had taken care of it. What happens when those initial conversations don't work? I think it's important, too, to understand anybody that feels like they're going to have something taken away or anybody that feels like they are unable to do something, when you approach them with an alternative that could be a solution, um, it, it tends to ease the uh, transition a little bit. Um, of course, when it comes to driving, there is a safety issue involved, not just for the driver, but for those around you. And right. so in a lot of cases, appealing to their sense of responsibility. Um, would you want your grandchildren to witness this? What would happen if you did this? But again, you have to be cautious. You don't, because us women especially, we can criticize and smile all in one statement, right? <laughs> We can tell you, you know, we can tell you um, that you're you're fantastic and that's wonderful, and you could, you know, with a smile on your face. But really, the meaning, you know, is that what you did is just not okay. Um, and, and so, you know, understanding that that process. But um, you know, there's there's always that last alternative where you can pull in the rest of this care team, whether it be doctors whether it be the police or the sheriff. There's, um, I know in Catawba County and Caldwell County, they have this program through the sheriff's department. It's called Are You Okay? And, you know, the seniors, you can register them. They'll go by and check on them once a week. They understand that this person is living at home with dementia or whatever. And you can pull those individuals in. Um, if somebody's on medication, you can tell the doctor they're, you know, they're still driving. Well, they can write them a prescription as they do to the medication and things. It's not we should not be driving anymore. Hopefully, sometimes you can rely on the DMV to step in, but that isn't always the case because they they don't they're not all trained professionals maybe such as as me or you from experience and and that tends to they don't like to not give somebody something that they want, especially a senior, because we are taught to respect our elders um, and that to them is is respectful. So, pulling in that outside and of course something tragic could happen and unfortunately that's what we hear about most they're not driving anymore and now they're in the hospital because they hit something or they got in a car accident or they got lost and we found them in a ditch and mm-hmm. um and so those decisions have to be made without anybody's anybody's say and it just happens 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, good, good, good suggestion, and that that is indeed what happened in this case, where we realized we had to call in yeah. the doctor yep. to make the decision. And I like what you said about offering other resources. I'm not sure we did that as well as we could have. We we took the car away, we took the opportunity away, but then because we lived back here and he lived in California, we probably didn't do our best job of saying, "But here's some alternatives mm-hmm. for you." So I think that is really important to replace the loss with another resource, making sure that they're not just going to sit at home and wither away. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a woman that came to some of my classes up in Ash County, um, a couple hours away, and she, her mother, it still lives in England, um, across seas. So they, when she was no longer able to drive, um, she had some additional health issues. They set up with a system there similar to the Uber taxi mm-hmm. service uh-huh. that we have here, and mm-hmm. they they charge. Um, and the, the daughter pays for it, and they um, they so she needs something she can set it up with the service and and have a, a driver and still be able to go and do what it is that she needs to do so she can be still be as independent as she possibly can without the risk of mm-hmm. having to worry about a car and driving and getting lost and mm-hmm. you know or that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I just thought that was that was a neat Creative, idea. Yes, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. right, right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the whole idea of living independently. There is lots that that entails. Yes. You have to be able to, as I, as I call it, shop, chop, cook, and clean. Mm-hmm. You have to prepare for meals. That's, you know, absolute. There typically are medications to be managed, medical appointments to be made and gotten to and all that. Dressing, bathing, you know, the list is just infinite. Mm-hmm. Um, how... How might we begin conversations with our parents about that, parents specifically, who have already been diagnosed with with Alzheimer's dementia? Mm-hmm. Um, again, you have to step back. You have to understand what their comfort level is with whatever type of communication. For example, my grandmother was a very emotional person. Um, Italian to the root, stubborn as can be, and she was she lived alone. My grandfather passed before I was even born, so I never got to meet him. So she was a in, independent to the tenth degree, um, and so starting to have those conversations, we had to respect the fact that you are not going to tell her what to do. So we had to, they had to kind of be creative and give her some information and sometimes the conversation would have to be started several different times you kind of breach the subject and then over coffee the next day while we're sitting down and having dessert and and coffee after dinner they bring it up again and and just you know kind of warming them up to that Um, another thing we have also learned is that um hearing the same message from somebody different in your community, and I'm holding up my fingers like y'all can see me, quotation, (laughs) in in your community, um, that they might respect, even though they tell them the same thing over and over again, the pastor, the local minister. Sometimes it's easier. You know, we're we're worried about you. Exactly. So the offensiveness pulls away, and it comes across as concerned, because we all know that family dynamics can be stressed. Um, as it is. And just because we're grown doesn't mean the dynamics that um, existed when we were younger aren't still there. Um, and still our mom and dad. Yes, and still brother and sister and aunt and uncle. Uh, right, and, right. And, and those dynamics are, are there, um, which can become trigger points, mm-hmm. um, stressful trigger points. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, assembling that care team and saying, look, this is where we're at and Maybe you can bring that up with mom or dad. And, and, and that's a really good way. I will tell you, 
99.9999% of the time, if you come together with this team and you decide we're going to sit down and we're going to nail this out and we're going to, and you do this big intervention and, and it's this big formal scary affair, that is not going to be as successful. Um, it's actually probably going to crumble right under your feet and everybody's going to be mad at everybody and somebody's going to be crying before it's over because it's a scary situation. Mm-hmm. So taking your time and breaching it several times can I think, help. I, I think that's a really important point because those of us who have been professionals for a number of years want to zoom in and fix something and we want that plan to then be in place mm-hmm. and not have any problems, whereas the reality is there isn't one plan because the plan has to evolve and change as our loved one exactly. changes so that what worked Monday may not work on Wednesday and certainly may not work next month. And that, right. that's a real difficult, I think, mm-hmm. acknowledgement for me as an adult child to make because I want it to be better. I want right. it to be fixed. Not that I want it to go away. I just want it to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And you want what's best for your for, your, for your parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, anybody that you love, the first thing you want to do is go in and sweep them Absolutely. up in their arms and just... Absolutely. Um, and, and again, sometimes what we think is what they need or what is best for them is not the same as what they need and want. Um, mm-hmm. And that's it's mm-hmm. difficult. And so I'm hearing plant seeds of thought, mm-hmm. little little along, mm-hmm. at times get other people involved. Because I know in my case, mm-hmm. my mother will listen to most anyone before she will listen to her son or daughter. <laughs> that's just reality. And so we work with that. Yeah. We deal, you know, if that's the reality, then we go with that reality. And we go find those people or bring them in and say, this is what we need to be talking with her about. Mm-hmm. We need you to talk, have this conversation with her. Mm-hmm. And certainly doctors can mm-hmm. be invaluable resources. And, and generationally, um, Right. The baby boomers and, and our seniors right now, the doctor's word is the end-all word. They That's don't right. question it. It's, it just is what it is, and in a lot of cases that can be a positive influence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want to put in a plug, something that I've done. I'm not sure, Jane, if you've done this or anybody else, but but to go to the doctor, you know, if, if we're wanting to get a doctor involved, go to the doctor and let them know here is a topic, here's something that needs to be addressed, and let them have some some background on it before mm-hmm. the parent walks in or the, yes. the loved one walks in. And, and a lot of people would get a response, well, what about all these HIPAA laws? Well, if you just call or tell them ahead of time and say, you know what, put a note in her file because this has become a concern. Right. They don't have to release any medical information to you, but they can add anything you want to their file. And so we, we do encourage that a lot. Um, uh, and, you know, and there's a lot of individuals who just refuse to let anybody go to the doctor with them. But I say if they're going to the doctor on their own, that's just one less conversation you don't have to have to have because they're actually going. There's a lot of family members that families that struggle just getting them to go to the doctor to get the diagnosis that they need anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I I hope my mother isn't listening to this. I, have I was just thinking. That, I have used the strategy of actually calling the doctor's office and saying, "Hey, would you have the nurse call my mom and tell her that it's time to come in for an appointment?" Yep. And my mother will say, "You didn't call the doctor, did you?" Not me. Mm-hmm. Not me. No, no. Mm-hmm. Somebody call and ask you, well, it's probably time for you to come in for that appointment. And we call those therapeutic fibs. There you go. <laughs> oh, I like that. Therapeutic fibs. Therapeutic fibs. They're, they're, yeah, they are. They're important strategies. Mm-hmm. They are. Okay, so we've done everything that we knew to do, and we tried to do it right, and it just didn't work. So the conversations went haywire. What do you suggest? Unfortunately, sometimes you just got to keep trying and keep trying. Um, 
You can also kind of change it up and say, well, what if we brought somebody here to help you do laundry and to help, you know, so that, you know, a lot of places such as I'm going to, I'm just going to put a plug in there for home instead. They do non-clinical care. They're an in-home care agency, but they are trained specifically to help with people with dementia. So they will understand that maybe the first time they come, they're going to come and they're going to have lunch with me and mom together. Then the second time they come, they're going to help us prepare lunch, and I'm going to step out using my therapeutic fibs and go do something in the restroom while they have lunch by themselves. So it can be a progressive thing to work them into this additional caregiver in the home becomes a part of their network that they can trust. So it's it's a process and, and just finding the little niches in there. Now, again, um, if it gets to the point where somebody is just really not able to rationalize, they're completely off their rocker, for a lack of a better term. And sometimes you just have to call social services in, or you have to you have to call adult. Um, and when I say adult protective services, everybody right away goes <gasps> because you only hear about the bad things in news in the news related to that. But they have a lot of services and things that can help. And sometimes it's they need to come in and do an assessment. And they can kind of push buttons in a different way that we can as family members. Um, and then, of course, if a tragedy happens, then that decision is usually made for you in that case. And mm-hmm. that is, of course, what we're trying to avoid. Right, right. Yeah. I'll, I'll just underscore that, Megan, because the same thing happened with my father-in-law mm-hmm. where we did lots of those steps. And they worked very well for a period of time. Someone would come in to clean. Someone would come yeah. in to do this. Then it got to the point where he really could no longer live alone. And that's exactly what we had to do was mm-hmm. call adult protection. Of services, he wasn't going to listen to his family, and at that point, we were so concerned about mm-hmm. his safety that it became we just have to take it away from us. Hard to do, it is, but also the realization that there's lots of things you can do before you get to that point. But if you have to do it, you have to do it. Y- yes, right, that's right. exactly right. That's called safety. Yes, keeping mm-hmm. them safe. Keeping them safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Megan, all of these are really excellent tips, excellent strategies. Let's kind of pull back a little bit from the specifics. Can you highlight some communication guidelines or recommended strategies that you think adult children should be aware of, just in general, when communicating with aging parents with dementia, regardless of the topic? Yeah. Um, the first thing is, again, especially with women, but we we are the younger generation. We are um, up and moving, and we're taking care of our parents. And at this point, we have accepted the fact that what we know that mom and dad need something else, and that you know we're beginning to to come into that role. So it's very easy for us to step in and say, "Here's the list: one, two, three. This is the way it should be. This is the way it has to be," um, without taking into consideration how uncomfortable that might be for them. So um, sometimes we have to stop ourselves and avoid just going in and fixing it all, which is what we spoke to. It's, it's very easy for us to go in and make the change. Take mom out to lunch. You know, I say that to my wife. Take mom out to lunch, and while you're gone, I'm just going to clean, and we're going to do all her laundry. Well, <laughs> that is intrusive to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so understanding that, I think that's the first thing. The second thing is if they do have dementia or any kind of cognitive or ill 
um, illness, you have to understand that what is fueling them when you have to have these conversations is one, validation, two, worthiness, and three, anxiety. Mm-hmm. And when you put those three together, um, it, can, it can be a, a cocktail for disaster. So if you can pull away and remember that um, and follow through with the empathy, it's, it's, I think that that's... And it sounds so simple, but those of you that are caregivers for your parents understand that that's not. Um, and it, it, it's a much more difficult test sometimes than, than what it seems to be. So I, I think those are the two biggest things. And of course, the third is just, um, you know, understanding what the specifics are and, and, and just, you got to tackle it one way or another, but avoidance is not a way to handle it. Yeah, good practical strategies. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm over here taking notes. Yes. <laughs> Megan, what resources are available for our listeners in North Carolina or maybe even nationally for adult children who are attempting to hold these important conversations with family members with age-related dementia? Well, um, my background is with the Alzheimer's Association. Um, but, again, there's a lot of these things that can be – They're just it's just good information regardless of what it is that you're dealing with. Um, the, y, the YMCA – sorry, the Alzheimer's <laughs> – that's a flashback there. The Alzheimer's <laughs> Association, they have a wonderful, wonderful website, and, and it really is your one-stop shop. And there's a couple that's of uh, newer things that are on there as well, but it's alz.org. Um, if you want to get North Carolina specifically, it's alz.org backslash North Carolina. But on there is there's topic sheets, there's um, videos, there's chat rooms, there's there's a new thing called ALZ Get Connected, um, which allows you to share um, and, and with other family members and other families across the United States and, and further. There's one for safety specifically. There's a driver's resource kit on how to get an individual to transition from driving um, to not driving and what those opportunities are. So there's there's a lot of that is Good on resources. there. Yes, they are fantastic. We also have a 24-hour helpline, so it's one 800 7-2-3-9-0-0. That is a national number, but it will connect you to your local chapter. Say that again. One eight hundred two seven two three nine zero zero. Great, thank you. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you, Megan, um, and thank you to our listeners for joining us today with the caregiver community. Francis and I hope that you've enjoyed, but we also hope that you've learned about some new strategies for caregivers and caregiving. The program you've been listening to is part of the Mesh network of online shows and podcasts. You may learn more about the Mesh and check out the other programs available for free at www.themesh.tv. On that site, you may also send Francis or I a question or a recommendation for future show topics using the Contact Us button. We also encourage you to find us on Apple iTunes, where you may subscribe to the show and make sure that you receive all future episodes automatically. You'll find a link to the Mesh website on our ACAP community website as well. Francis, can you talk a little bit about ACAP community? Absolutely. ACAP community, you can find all kinds of information about what we are doing on our website, www.acapcommunity.org, and that is ACAP as as in adult children of aging parents. So www.acapcommunity.org. You can, talk, you can call us toll-free, 877-599-ACAP, A, adult children of aging parents, ACAP, or email us at info at acapcommunity.org. And you'll also find a link to the Alzheimer's website on our site as well. So you should be able to find everything you need. Yes. Yes. Thank you. 
You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. 